Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. All right. Welcome in. Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Let me tell you what happened yesterday. <laughs> Why there was no Inside the Gamecocks episode. I recorded it as normal, no technical issues, nothing like that. And first thing in the morning, I was fired up. <clears throat> I, uh, you know, I'd been reading the Big Spur message board, and, you know, seeing all this discussion about Colin Hill, which which drives me crazy. Um, you know, apparently now the key to the Gamecocks being more successful is slinging the ball down the field when they don't have, you know, but one receiver that really can get consistently open and you know, going three and out and things like that. So they, that's become, well, Colin Hill can't throw it down the field. And um, I disagree with that, obviously. I think most people that have watched Colin Hill in practice and at Colorado State and, you know, at high school over the years would disagree with that strongly too. Um, you have Todd Ellis even going on the record in the preseason saying he throws the best deep ball since Anthony Wright at South Carolina. Um you know, so there's nothing wrong with Colin Hill's arm, but I went on this big rant and uh, it was like the Festivus airing of grievances from Seinfeld. Uh, and, and I went through and so I, you know, w- once I record this, I, I save it to the computer and then run it through a program called GarageBand and, you know, put the intro in it and then I upload it to our, you know, our podcast server or whatever. And, um, so while it was rendering and saving and stuff like that, you know, I kind of went to the store and got a cherry Coke zero and, and I started thinking about it and I was like, you know, that's just not the direction I want to take the podcast. Um, you know, I, I, I started thinking about it. I'm like, I don't want to get on here every day and argue and debate kind of like we do on the message boards. The message boards are a community uh, it, it's, it's supposed to be a community of ideas, uh, and open discussion, no matter what your opinion is. Uh, if I strongly disagree with your opinion on the message board, I obviously do that with our VIP members and people pay money, uh, to go on there. And this audience on this podcast is beyond the big spur. It's, it's the Twitter handles, the big spur pod, because this, this thing lives on 24 seven sports. Uh, but the audience is, is much bigger than, than our membership. Um, and look, I, you know, numbers to numbers, I don't know. You know, it's not like we have a small membership. But I, there are people that listen to the pod that are just kind of podcast people that aren't necessarily website people. And so, and, and then on top of that, I was like, well, nobody wants to hear that, you know. And, and then on top of that, I started thinking about the folks that I actually disagree with uh, who are my customers and a member of my community that, I've built along with the help of a lot of other people uh, since 2007. That's almost 13 years. Um, and I don't want to sit here, you know, when they don't have a chance to respond like they do on the board and, and blow them out, you know, and, and I got fired up. I actually did. I got, I got a little fired up about it. I mean, and I started thinking, you know, these are not like writers because I've got some writers I need to take to task or something like that. Uh, later, I don't know if it's quite that, but I've taken writers to task before, and you know things like that. But that's not that. These are these are my people, for good, bad, or worse. And so I was like, ah, that that was a little bit <clears throat> over overboard. So I came home, and I was like, well, 
I'll have some lunch and then I'll re-record it. And, and so I, I made some notes and the entire show uh, till I got the mailbag segment. And, and some of you, I, I, if you emailed the mailbag yesterday, uh, I, I, I missed your question. I deleted your questions. Then I deleted the audio. Um, so resend those questions. I wasn't ignoring you. Um, so I went through and, and the entire thing was about, you know, Max Johnson and what he brings to the table as a quarterback, because I felt like that's who LSU was going to start. Well, then lo and behold, I get that all done. And uh, TJ Finley is announced as the starter. <laughs> so <laughs> at that point, I was like, I'm just going to bag it. You know, this is not my day to do a podcast. Uh, and I apologize for that. But that's, uh, you know, sometimes I think it's good uh, to sort of reflect on things and, and, and you know, because I, I get emotional. Uh, at times when I'm trying to make a point and it sounds like I'm griping and, you know, it's not that I'm never going to disagree because um, I will and I'll do it, you know, in my way that I've always done it for, you know, however many years I've been in this business, 15, 20. But I, I just felt like yesterday's podcast had had a really dark tone uh, and maybe some people wouldn't even understand it. So I, I was like, you know, I'm not serving my audience or my members or, anybody by doing that <clears throat> I think people know where I stand on Colin Hill uh, in terms of how he's played this year I think he's been okay uh, but I absolutely believe no matter what that he's the best quarterback for South Carolina and I can't imagine where the Gamecocks would be without him out there calling the plays getting them in the right play running the offense that type of thing I mean he People ask me all the time, you know, why'd you say he's, he's going to go to the NFL? Um, and, and I've explained this many times. It, it's not that, you know, he's up on these draft boards or anything like that. He does have some interest from that level because they like tall quarterbacks with good arms that make good decisions. Um, and they, look, and you can, we can debate that because I've never, I've, I've thought the NFL for years is not like the end all with quarterback evaluation. Look at the guys who are actually good at that level. Um, you know, you can go and look at Mitch Trubisky, Deshaun Watson, and uh, Patrick Mahomes. And, you know, I think most people would go Mahomes, Watson, Trubisky. And in the draft, it went Trubisky, Mahomes, Watson. Uh, so, I, I, you know, I, you know, I, it's not like they're the end-all, end-all. I, I was just the, – the NFL talk with Hill is simply this. If you've had three ACLs, you finally make it through a season, you perform well. Even if you're not projected to get drafted, you go take your shot in a camp somewhere. If it doesn't work out, you know, you've chased your dream and, and all that, and you come back, and I think Colin could probably be a coach, you know, somewhere. Um, but, uh, I mean, that, 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 that's the take on that. I'm not, you know, like I, it's not like when I projected Jake Bentley uh, to be a first-rounder, three-and-out guy, which – you know, Jake's probably not going to be a three and out. He's not going to be a three and out guy, but, you know, I think the first round dream is probably still alive depending on how he does at Utah this year. And I, I think he'll probably get drafted somewhere. But, you know, that's a, it was a different type of projection, but people totally misunderstand that. They're like, I don't see NFL, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I got all fired up about that. And uh, I just, you know, I, I think I, I don't want to say I took it too far. I just don't believe that that was – you know, good content. And then I went and had this whole big thing on Max Johnson. <laughs> and, and then LSU announces TJ Finley starting. So that's that. Um, 
that's what happened yesterday. You know, sometimes that that happens, and uh, you know, I I don't want to I don't want to throw a bad thing out there that that I'm like iffy about because I really enjoy doing this podcast. Um, so uh, got a couple of the topics before we dive into the game here. There's a big article by Ross Dellinger from SI about COVID. Uh, and like it kind of restates what we knew if the Big 12 and ACC and SEC hadn't stuck together, they, um, you know, they probably would have canceled the whole thing. Uh, you know, and, and there are some road bumps, but you know, there's a nice graphic here. Remember, we were talking about how you know teams are going to the, the all conference deal because of testing and, 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 you know, you can't really trust some of the other teams and, and, and all that to have the same protocols you do. And, uh, you know, you look at the COVID game impact, uh, the American 28.2% conference USA, 25, five Sunbelt, 19.5. I don't know what's going on in the big 12. It's 18.5, but the ACC and SEC 8% and then the SEC at 7.14. Um, now, uh, I'll say this, the, the ACC is the most impressive of these because they played, they've had 45 games scheduled and 41 played. SEC's 28-26, Big 12's 27-22. Um, and, and, you know, the, the Conference USA and, and AAC have had much more. Conference USA's 51 games scheduled. Um, and, you know, those little schools just kind of bag it or whatever. But, you know, I, I think that when you're playing during a pandemic, you uh, you sort of you know have to have the resources to make sure your players are healthy and safe and ready to roll. Um, and the article goes on to talk about you know the the spring was uncertain. You know there was no confirmation the medical situation would be better by then. Medical situation may not even be better by next year, which uh, is going to be interesting because I think uh, I think these teams need these programs need to get people back in the stands at full go. But, you know, I think that, you know, you look at it uh, and so far so good. Now the COVID-19 cases are rising in our country. The death rates down way down, uh, according to an article I read on NPR the other day. So it wasn't uh, propaganda, <laughs> so to speak, um, you know, from those that just want the virus to go away, but the, the death rates way down. I think, there's treatments coming and hopefully a vaccine, uh, you know, so the, obviously the, the more cases there are around the country, um, the bigger chance you have of a player contacting it or whatnot. I think that uh, I think Florida's travel to Texas is what got them and they're dealing with a serious spike in it. Um, but uh, other than that, you know, it, it's been very, you know, mild uh, in terms of, of that. Vanderbilt's had issues all year in terms of roster and stuff like that. Uh, and once again, LSU had to cancel their game of Florida last week. It was it was Florida that had the COVID issues. LSU's just dealing with an injury to their starting quarterback. Those those schools love to reschedule their game anyway, <laughs> so, so they did. But, uh, I, I you know, I thought this article was pretty fair, all things considered, in terms of uh, – you know, talking about exactly what the the ACC, SEC, and Big Twelve did, and lo and behold, the Big Ten kicks off tonight. I think Illinois is playing Wisconsin, Badgers, and the Fighting Illini. So we'll have some Big Ten football. Now their protocols are a little bit different, and 
I don't know about them getting in a full I – mean, I think some schools in that league may play three or four games just because there's a there's – a, I mean, if you have a positive test, 21 days uh, in that league. And Tom Luganville talked about that being kind of a, a, a farce when um, he was on J.C. and Morgan last week. Uh, it's not this week's episode. Mike and I had an um, epic episode this week. We dug into everything from LSU, BYU, Liberty, Bama, Georgia, the Big Ten. I mean, we went through it all. Uh, so check that out. You can get J.C. and Morgan on Apple Pods and all that. Uh, another thing that came out from uh, another guy at SIPAT40, uh, and I'm not shooting the messenger on this because I'm sure somebody's told him, but uh, he was talking about the NCAA corruption, FBI basketball deal that called up Lamont Evans, who used to be at South Carolina. And, of course, South Carolina got a notice of allegations about that in February. Uh, I've read through that, and, and, and 40's point was because Oklahoma State got banned from postseason for one year uh, because of Lamont Evans. The expectation is South Carolina will as well. Those cases are a bit similar, but but really, I, I just don't see how you can ban a team from. I mean, you know, teams have not been banned from the postseason for doing much more egregious, you know, direct things with their program. I don't, I don't see how you could ban South Carolina from the postseason when um, you know you've got the situation at LSU with Will Wade. I, and I really don't even think Oklahoma State should have been banned from the postseason because you're not talking about anything that gave a basketball team a competitive advantage at all. You're talking about unethical conduct by an assistant coach that selfishly wanted to enrich himself uh, and went to prison because of it. And, look, I don't think Lamont Evans is a bad guy. I think he was just kind of you know, taking advantage of what is a very corrupt system. And – you can't expect Frank Martin and Mike Boynton, in my opinion, or Brad Underwood, who was at Oklahoma State, uh, to sit there and, and police that or even have any knowledge of it. You know, and, and if that was the, the head coach, you know, if Boynton or Underwood or Frank had, a, had an inkling about that, then, yeah, I think he, 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 the postseason ban was in order. But there's the, it, it states that that's not the case. You know, so if I'm South Carolina, if I'm Oklahoma State needs to sue their asses off, excuse my language. And if I'm South Carolina and they come at me with a postseason ban, I'm I'm filing every lawsuit known to man to at least get through the next two years when South Carolina's got a shot uh, and prolonging it as much as I can. And I'm I'm suing them in federal court. I'm I'm doing discovery. I'm uh, I'm doing background on the the guy on the. Uh, infractions committee that egregiously put Oklahoma state on probation that talked about how it could have been worse. I mean, that that's just peak NCAA is that, you know, they, you know, they're, Oh, the, the, this happened. And, and, you know, these are supposed to be smart people. I mean, NCAA is supposed to be an academic organization. So these people are supposed to be smart. Right. Um, well, you can clearly see there's no connection or no competitive advantage that took place. Uh, with that, it, it's kind of like the Penn State thing where they just put Penn State on probation for four years because they wanted to kill their program. Uh, and, and, you know, for, for morality reasons. Um, and look, I think we can all agree what happened at Penn State was ridiculous and, and, and the institution needed to pay a price. But 
that's a law enforcement situation. You know, North Carolina with the academic fraud situation was a, you know, because those classes were not just available to athletes, that's out of the NCAA's jurisdiction. And, and they did the right thing legally in that, you know, the, the Southern Association of, of Colleges and Universities that does the accreditation, that they need to handle that with UNC because that's, that's an academic police deal. You know, Penn State is a federal law or state federal law enforcement deal. You know, um, obviously people needed to be fired at Penn State, but you know, you put their football program on probation for something that you know happened a long time ago. That just wasn't fair. Um, and, and so this, to me, is egregiously unfair. And and I do think there were some things at Oklahoma State that maybe you could say that was a little worse. But, you know, I don't understand how South Carolina as an institution and Frank Martin as a basketball coach uh, is supposed to police that, prevent that, uh, do whatever. I mean, it's not like P.J. Dozier got money to come to Carolina. You know, they were talking about, you know, after he got out, which after you get out, you can do whatever you want. And then Evans got some, you know, got some cheddar because of it. I mean, so I, I just – you know, unless they can, unless something else comes up where you know, they paid PJ Dozier to come to school. I mean, I, I just you know, you, you ban the team from the postseason. I mean, I, like I said, I'd just sue the crap out of them. Lawyer up, lawyer up. But that was disappointing. I meant to mention that earlier this week. I just to read the expectation is South Carolina gets a postseason for what? For what? You know, um, insane insanity. So Ray Tanner and the compliance department and the university lawyers need to, if they do come back with that, and I'm not saying they will, but somebody somewhere told Pat 40, that's the expectation. Then uh, they need to lawyer up and fight it with everything they've got, prolong it, do whatever, because this basketball team has a real shot this year. I mean, most people have them. The, the media usually picks them around 10th to 12th in the SEC and they usually finish between you know, fourth and sixth. Uh, I see a lot of sixth and fifth right now. You know, there's going to be a lot. Tennessee and, and some of these other teams are going to be really good. Uh, and then there's South Carolina right there. So maybe they outperform again. All right. So there's a football game tomorrow. <laughs> uh, Seven o'clock kickoff ESPN, Baton Rouge, Death Valley, Tiger Stadium. Um, There'll be 20,000 strong in the stands. Uh, I did see where tickets were selling for like 21 uh, on the secondary market. So maybe not as big of a crowd as we think, um, but there'll be a crowd there. They'll have the golden band from Tigerland, you know, playing an array of tunes. Uh, Saturday night game. So the guys that are there will be good and fired up for the ball game. Um, and LSU did announce T.J. Finley, a true freshman, will start at quarterback over Max Johnson. Um, Finley is a guy out of Louisiana. That's you know, I guess he's six six. Listen, six six two fifty, big old quarterback. Um, is a guy that has a good arm. When you when you watch him, I've watched his high school tape. It's on YouTube. Um, he's really accurate with the football, uh, at least at the high school level. Throws it effortlessly. Uh, and I think that's what they like about him, just a big old passer um, with arm strength. You know, he's got a howitzer at times. Um, kind of reminds you a little bit of Jamarcus Russell. 
uh, I think coming out. I, I actually think comparing Finley to Jamarcus when I when I look at the two tapes from high school, remember Jamarcus Russell, I think it was class of 05. Uh Jamarcus would just you know, it was just just missiles all over the place. This kid puts a little more touch on it from time to time. Uh, a little more touch on it. So uh, you know, think back to all the bigger quarterbacks you've seen over the years, uh, from Jared Lorenzen to Dondrell Pinkins, um, guys like that. You know, is this type of guy? He's not a Cam Newton type. Uh, I, th- I think I think this kid's a freak athlete, but not necessarily a freak runner in terms of speed. Uh, so I don't I don't know that they'll run him a whole lot. Max Johnson, the other quarterback, Brad Johnson's son. Uh, and thanks to Phil that pointed out Brad Johnson did win a Super Bowl with the Tampa Bay Bucks when Gruden was there. Uh, I mentioned him playing for the Redskins and maybe somebody else, but not the Bucks, which was the pinnacle of his career, Redskins and Vikings. So, yeah, Brad Johnson did win a Super Bowl, so I didn't mention that. His son does play for LSU. Uh, I think you're probably going to see both unless Finley just lights it up. Um and, and, you know, keep in mind that LSU, at least heading into this game offensively, is a modified air raid attack. They're doing the exact same thing they did last year, and why not? It was very successful, and they've scored a lot of points. You know, they've been an explosive offense through three games, 34 points, 41 points, 41 points. Um, that's, of course, with Miles Brennan running the show, but they've got guys like Marshall and Gilbert and a, a bevy of receivers. they got good backs. Um, but they, you know, to this point, because I'm, I'm skeptical as to how they're going to attack Carolina. Are they going to throw a true freshman out there to run this system um, and trust him to distribute the ball? You know, like Joe, you know, Joe Brady, Joe Brady was able to get Joe Burrow to do last year. And like, you know, Miles Brennan has done to this point. Keep in mind, Miles Brennan's been on campus. He was on campus at LSU before Joe Burrow came in. And he was a freshman, and then Burrow was there for two years. He sat behind him, and then, you know, he's gotten off to a good start. I've never been, like, completely sold on Miles Brennan, uh, but he's impressed me this year uh, so far. So he's kind of the straw that, you know, stirs the drink with LSU's offense. It's going to be really interesting. I, I do think T.J. Finley has a lot of talent and a lot of ability and upside. And, yeah, I think in a couple years you, you may hear a lot out of this guy. Uh, if you're the Gamecocks, you're always kind of worried it's going to start on Saturday. Um, and who knows? It, 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 it could do – it could happen that way. But um, LSU coming in is, like I said, a modified air raid type attack. Uh, I think there's also some questions. Is, is that what they're going to do? They've had 10 days to prepare. Uh, so are they going to look at it and put a freshman quarterback out there and have him throw it 55 times? Or are they going to kind of run some power, get their backs involved, and you know be a little bit more physical with their offense? You know that that's the question. You know, I, I think sometimes when you're a powerful program like LSU is, and you're struggling, uh, and I keep referencing the 2000 Alabama South Carolina game, which Bama won. Bama finished three and eight that year. Gamecocks eight and four, uh, but Bama won that one, um, and they lined up and ran it. I think Ahmad Galloway may have been the running back there. I ran up and ran it and played defense. And, and I think sometimes when you're a powerful program and you're playing a program that doesn't have the same rep but that can come in and beat you, you know, the the 
the idea is to line up and run it at them and you know, outman them. Man enough, like I said earlier this week, are you man enough? Uh, the issue with that is, and, and this is why this game, this has probably been the most difficult game to pin down for non-football reasons, I mean, for intangible reasons. Because if you just – if there was an old Miss on the side of this helmet for LSU, I'd have said, you know, South Carolina should be the clear favorite. You know, if there's a Mississippi State or an Arkansas, um, even a Texas A&M, although Carolina struggled with A&M. Uh, and then, you know, most of the teams in the East outside of Georgia, if they were struggling like this, you know, I, I would say well, South, South Carolina should win the game. But it's LSU. So so there's that LSU and the Tiger and the, you know, the yellow helmet and all, or gold helmet. I guess it's yellow. Um, yeah, well, we'll say gold. <laughs> I'm colorblind. Who cares? Um, you know, and so, so, so you're kind of stirring, you know, the pot's kind of stirring in your head when you're looking at it. Uh, I'll say this factually. The fact is, is that LSU is going to have to play a lot better than they played their first three games to beat South Carolina Saturday. The question is, will they with a backup quarterback that's a true freshman making his first start? And then his backup is a true freshman. Um, LSU does have backs, but, you know, 96 yards a game on the ground isn't daunting. Uh, so that gets me back to my point. You know, Steve Ensminger is the offensive coordinator. Joe Brady was the passing game coordinator. Joe Brady sat up there with Steve and called the plays, but not all the plays. You know, Ensminger's a grizzled veteran. He's He's been at Georgia, LSU, A&M, Auburn, been all over the place. He's like Noel Mazzoni. And those guys have a lot – you know, as does Mike Bobo, they have a lot that they can do, you know, and they're comfortable calling it all. You know, so so is LSU going to come out and, and abandon, you know, kind of the commitment they made as a program to throwing it all over the field that won them a national championship uh, to go beat South Carolina? Are they going to come out and try to, you know, surprise the Gamecocks with some power runs and getting their backs involved and just outman them? Man enough? That wouldn't surprise me. But then I think about it, and, and this is what's weird about this game. I think about it, and I'm like, wait a minute. LSU made a commitment to doing this. You know, this is the, the, they don't – you know, it may be best for them for this game to go back and, you know, run so, some old school stuff and try to outman the Gamecocks. But, but you know, that's kind of getting away from their identity and, and the identity won them a national championship made them one of the most dominant teams in the history of college football. So what do you do? You know, what do you, what do you think? How do you think about this? I mean, this is a, this game is just weird. I mean, and I think most of them are this year. I mean, you've got an all ACC SEC schedule. You've got, Nobody's playing defense outside of a handful of teams right now. Offenses are way ahead. You know, you've got teams going up and down. You've got COVID out there. Um, you've got guys opting out. Um, you know, it's just, you know, you look around the league and, you know, the teams that are winning, um, like Alabama, you know, they, they haven't had a lot of issues. Uh, and then you have teams that are winning – like Florida that suddenly have a lot of issues after their first loss. Um, and so it's weird, you know, weird results. Kentucky beat Tennessee by 27 points in Knoxville. 
That I don't care how bad Tennessee's been and good Kentucky's been. That rarely happens. And then Tennessee fires its defensive line coach. I mean, I you know, if you're Carolina, you're like, man, why couldn't why couldn't you play Tennessee and Florida later in the year? You know, opening with those two folks was, was tough. And you know, I'll say this about the Tennessee game: it's awfully disappointing. It's awfully disappointing. Um, because I think Carolina, again, I, that Tennessee team is not any better roster. Well, I don't care who says it roster wise, talent wise, Tennessee and South Carolina are essentially even now as Tennessee continues to recruit. Well, if the game costs don't necessarily match that, you know, in a couple of years, maybe it's different, but roster wise, they're no better than the game. Cox game Cox messed up, had made some mistakes at bad times. And, um, I'd lost the football game. Uh, and I will remind folks that there have been plenty of Tennessee teams that have beaten South Carolina teams that have been better than them. Um, 2013 would be the prime example of that. I don't think Tennessee was any better in 2014 when Josh Dobbs led a miracle comeback. Um, yeah, I, I don't, you know, at the time, I don't know how much better Tennessee was than Carolina last year, you know, so you know, chalk that up as a game you should have had. But you can't think about that game, though, moving forward. I mean, you know, if you're the team, if you're a fan, you can do whatever you want. But if, if you're the team, you, you got to say, okay, you're on a two-game winning streak now. You just beat Auburn for the first time since the 30s. Uh, Auburn's got a good football team, not a great football team. Um, and now you got a chance to go get a win over a defending national champion. Now, if I am not mistaken – the last time South Carolina beat a defending national champion in a season was 1991, and it was Georgia Tech. And this was South Carolina's last year as an independent. It wasn't a very good football team. 3-6-2 and two was the final. Georgia Tech came to town. As we know, Tech tied for the 1990 national championship, and I've always thought it was crap. No offense to Colorado, who, who tied with them. But Colorado lost a game and tied a game that year, beat Notre Dame in the Orange Bowl by a point. Tech went 11-0-1, and they had to play in the Citrus Bowl because at the time the ACC champ went to the Citrus Bowl, uh, and they beat the crap out of Nebraska. But, you know, you got an undefeated team sitting there that has one tie um, and a Colorado team that's actually lost in the season. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm giving it to the undefeated team. I didn't think – you know, Colorado's strength of schedule was probably a little better, but I, I didn't think it was that great. But anyway, so Tech won a share of the national title that year. Then 91, they come to Columbia. Gamecast got up 20 to nothing. They won 23-14. Uh, biggest win of that year. But uh, thinking back on it, that's probably the last time they've beaten a defending national champ. Uh, if Unless they had one. No, I don't think they've played any in bowl games or anything like that. And of course, you know, they have played Clemson in the years after they've won national titles, Florida after they've won national titles. I believe LSU uh, in 2008 was a seven-point game uh, in Columbia. They played Auburn in 2011, lost by three. Um, looking back on it, there, there's been opportunities, but South, South Carolina has not defeated a defending national champion since 1991. They have not beaten LSU since 1994. Uh, that was in Baton Rouge. Brad, Brad Scott's first year 
come from behind win in the rain, 18 to 17. Man, when that happened, I think a lot of people were really high on the Brad Scott era. And that actually, that whole season they were because Carolina ended up going to a bowl and winning for the first time. But uh, that wasn't a great LSU team, by the way, 18, 17. The next year, LSU came to Columbia and Carolina kind of had a beat. And then, then they came back and it ended up in a tie. There was no overtime during that time. And then after that, it's just been misery against the Bayou Bengals. Uh, some close games, some not so close games, games that have gotten moved because of floods. It's just been sort of miserable. But uh, this is the first time Carolina's faced an Ed Orgeron coach team. Uh, it's the first time he's faced Carolina in his coaching career. Will Muschamp, as a head coach, is one and three against LSU. Uh, this is the first time he's faced an Orgeron coach team. Um, so, uh, you know, there's uh, not a lot of familiarity. I was, I was trying to go back and see if Mike Bobo had ever faced a Bo Pelini-led uh, defense. And uh, it's it's sort of not clear. I mean, head-to-head, coordinator, coordinator. When Pelini was head coach at Nebraska, they played Georgia twice, uh, back-to-back years. Uh, once in the Gator Bowl and uh, once in the uh, the uh, Citrus Bowl. Uh, 2012, that Georgia team uh, beat uh, Nebraska 45-31 to 31, uh, in the uh, Citrus Bowl. That, that was that team that was a play away from a national championship. And then the 2013 Georgia Bulldogs were in the Gator Bowl. It's called the Tax Slayer, Slayer Bowl at the time. And Nebraska – Took the win, 24-19 over a team with uh, Todd Gurley and, and all that. That 2013 Georgia team did not win the SEC East. They did beat Carolina that year. They went 8-4. and four. Um, They had a lot of injuries in, in that one. So, I don't know if that gives you an idea or not about um, the matchups and who they favor, but – Looks like Georgia lit them up one game, and then the next year Nebraska was able to hold them down. And I don't know, you know, if Pelini was calling the defense. I'm assuming he would be, you know, involved. So, <laughs> but uh, you know, so that's what happened. You know, against Carolina, uh, Bo Pelini was the head coach of that Nebraska team in the Citrus Bowl after the 2011 season. Carolina won 30 to 13. Uh, I don't know if any of this matters or not, but, you know, you go back and uh, he was the D coordinator in 2007 when Carolina went down, won 28-16, or lost 28-16 to the Tigers. And the Tigers won the national championship that year. Um, So I always like to talk about the – the matchups and all that, you know, and I don't think Bo Pelini forgot how to coach defense. I think I think his defensive system, you know, he's, he's easing his way back in. It's a lot different than what Dave Aranda ran, different lineups, different players, players that were kind of on that team last year. I think the buy-in has been an issue, but he didn't forget how to coach. So let's just, let's just make that clear right now. Uh, and I'm sure he spent the last couple of weeks trying to figure out how to dissect the Gamecocks and play the Gamecocks. But, yeah, they have buy-in issues. So so sometimes during an open date, uh, uh, the buy-in issues will sort of, you know, fade away. 
uh, in terms of, um, you know, all that. Coach Orgeron's talking about simplifying. Uh, and just, you know, are they going to simplify, just go let their athletes play? Uh, to me, I would do that if I were them because uh, I don't think they're lacking for defensive talent at LSU. Uh, maybe some guys that need to be a little better and perform better, but raw talent-wise, they have it. They have athletes. Um, so so that's kind of a – if you're looking for like a warning sign on that side of the ball, um, it, it's that, is that, you know, this defense has been terrible. Um, good against Vandy, but terrible against uh, Missouri and uh, terrible against uh, Mississippi State in the opener. And, yeah, I'm not so sure LSU hasn't played the three worst teams in the SEC. If you think about it, I mean, Missouri, Mississippi State, Vandy, we know Vandy's probably 14th. But if you're ranking them right now, you're probably looking at Missouri down there at the bottom and Mississippi State, quite frankly, down at the bottom. Uh, and they're one and two. So, you know, like I've said, and I've said this, the, the fact about this game is LSU is going to have to play a lot better to win. And they are certainly capable. So <laughs> that's not, let's not, um, let's not kid ourselves here. You know, for South Carolina, uh, it's time, you know, I usually put some players in the hot spot. You know, we talked about the hot spot and I keep getting emails from you guys talking about the hot spot. There's two hot spots in Pickens County. You know, they're all over the upstate. That's the kind of the gas station we used to all go to. Uh, the one in my memory is in Greer, South Carolina, near Riverside High School, kind of coming from downtown, going towards the airport. Uh, my old stomping grounds, miss it, miss it every day. Going to be back someday. Um, hot spot on offense is Colin Hill. And like I said, I've sat here and defended Colin Hill against, you know, ridiculous accusations and, you know, he's hamstringing the offense because he can't throw it deep and blah, 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 blah. You know, none of that's true. However, I, I think Colin Hill, you know, probably didn't play his best against Auburn. You know, he did make some outstanding throws. The Boy, the fade to Shy Smith in the end zone, he dumped it right in there. You know, he's, he's very accurate. Uh, he's running the offense, getting the game back to the right place. So it's hard to find, you know, a lot there. But, you know, I think against this group that's given up a ton of passing yards, and if you look at what Connor Bezalak did for Missouri, and they, they throw a lot of little short passes and things like that. He was 24 for 30 against the secondary. I think this is an opportunity for Colin Hill to go out and, you know, find his receivers, hit his tight end. I think Jalen Brooks being involved, and that's one of the keys I'm talking about, will, will help. Um you know, because then you got, you know, you move Jalen Brooks in, he's the second guy. All of a sudden, then you know, Xavier Leggett's your third guy, you know, so he's got a better matchup. And your tight ends like, you know, Kevion Mullins, you know, you want to spread, you know, it, it becomes more difficult to scheme up the Gamecocks passing game. And, and this group has not been good against the pass, even though they have Derek Stingley back there and really good players. Um, you know, Colin Hill's got to make the right decision and find the guys. I mean, he, you know, and, and he's done that. But that's paramount this weekend because I, I also feel like if you're Bo Pelini, you know, and you're trying to scheme up the Gamecocks, you know, where are they unproven? Jalen Brooks or no Jalen Brooks, you know, you're, you're looking and you're like, well, they don't you – know, they try to get it to 13. We can put our All-American corner on him. 
and then we can load up and try to stop the run, and then that's it. You know, so so you're going to have to have some passing to back them off a little bit, to give some running lanes to Kevin Harris and Deshaun Fenwick uh, out of the backfield. So Colin Hill is in the hot spot this week on defense. It's Izzy McQuamu. He seems to be here a lot. Uh, and I say that just because of this. I, one of LSU's biggest weapons is a freshman tight end named Eric Gilbert, A-R-I-K Gilbert. He's from Georgia. They took him out of the Peach State. Um, a freak. A freak, a freak, tied in, 14 catches through three games on the year, one of their best weapons. Uh, I think when you're, if they do go and, and stick with their air raid style, you know, if you, if you look, watch the national championship game last year, how important was Thaddeus Moss, the tight end in this thing? Uh, and Eric Gilbert does the same type of thing. Uh, I think because Gilbert's bigger, Mook is bigger, he's going to be matched up with him some. Uh, you know, he's been out for a couple of weeks. You know, the, the other outstanding corner for Carolina, J.C. Horn, had a big game last week. It's Mook's turn. Um, and those of you that are going to say, well, John Dixon's been playing well, too. And, yeah, he has. But with this type of system, if they do what they normally do, you're going to have more than Dixon and Horn on the field. You know, you're going to have to have – have to probably play a lot of dime, what they call the dime, to be honest, uh, if they just do what they've done. Now, I don't know that they're going to do what they – again, you're, you're dealing with Steve Ensminger and Bo Pelini here. It's not their first trip around the yard. You know, I mean, they, these guys, uh, when, when they've been sort of beat up or they got to do some things, and I mean, that, that's, what, you know, that's when you draw on your experience and, you know, you, you do things. So uh, those are my two hot spot players for the week. Um, you know, South Carolina just running down some of the keys. Uh, offensive line, uh, you know, they have to be excellent because uh, LSU is talented on the defensive front. It, it, they may not have been playing very well, but they're talented. Uh, offensive line has to make sure, you know, if LSU dials up a blitz, whatever, you know, you're not only open and run lanes, but you're protecting the quarterback. This group, I mean, I, you know, when you're heading to play LSU in any year, with a defensive line that they usually have, and they usually have a great one. And then Wargeron personally coaches it. And it's, you know, the he's a great defensive line coach. And I think he's a great head coach too, but, you know, his specialty is the D-line. You know, I'll take this group Carolina's bringing in more than any other group on the offensive line Carolina's ever brought to LSU in history. Um, I think these guys can be that good. Uh, and, you know, I think this year in particular, maybe it's because of the pandemic and we've all been sitting around. I mean, there's a lot of tendency to nitpick. Uh, oh, yeah, well, you know, Jovan Gwynn's inconsistent sometimes. You know, yeah, and he is. You know, that, that, that's going to happen on the offensive line in this league. But I like this group going down. I, I think Eric Douglas has been outstanding. Sedarius Hutcherson is a veteran and a future NFL player. Uh Really looking forward to seeing how Jazz Turnantine uh, at left tackle and Dylan Warnham at right tackle continue to progress. I thought, you know, you, you go into last week and you're like, well, the line's not been playing bad, so do we really need to switch it up? You know, J- J- you know, Ja'Kai Moore's been doing some good things, you know, run blocking-wise, you know, and, and they switched it up and it worked. And, Tur- and Turnantine had some wow moments last week. He's just a massive guy. He's the type of guy LSU's normally got over there at left tackle, <laughs> you know? And so, 
you know, these guys have to continue to play well. They can't have a letdown game this week. They can't have a letdown game this week. They cannot have a letdown game this week. Jalen Brooks has to help. Uh, I don't want to put too much on this guy. I think, you know, it's ranged from, you know, is he the second coming of Randy Moss this week to, you know, hopefully you can get some production like Chavis Dawkins out of him. Uh, that's quite a range. Although I thought Chavis Dawkins, you know, was a great blocker at receiver. Nobody ever talked about that. Uh, and he had a knack for sometimes coming up with an amazing catch. You got to admit it, you know, Every now and then you'd, you'd see this amazing catch. You'd think it was Edwards or Debo or Shy and anyone, Shavis Dawkins. Um, but production wise, you know, you obviously want to shoot a little higher than a great catch every couple of weeks. Um, you know, I, I think they're going to go to him. And, you know, the guy's sixth. I mean, he looked at the pictures. He's a big physical kid. Muschamp says he's one of the fastest guys on the team. Sometimes that's the kiss of death because they said the same thing about Xavier Leggett. And he is. He doesn't always play that way. I think Xavier, I think this is going to help Xavier a lot more than Shy, too, because this is going to this is going to allow Xavier to be that third guy, which, you know, sometimes that third guy can be dangerous because you you can sometimes get him matched up in a favorable matchup, you know, better than your second. You know, so Brooks has to help, you know, that there's no getting around it. Brooks, Muse, because I, I guarantee you, you're going to try to take you, you know you're you're going to try to take away Shy, and you're going to match him up with with, with Stingley. I mean that that's just that that's common sense. I'd be stunned if they didn't do that, um, unless they have another corner sitting over there that's really good that we you know we don't talk about, which they probably do. Uh, the Gamecocks in this game, I believe, have to take a haymaker, whether that comes early. Whether that comes, you know, you go in there and, and and let's say LSU runs throws a long pass touchdown, or they sack Colin Hill, strip, score, you know, interception, whatever happens early, it could, and the crowd's fired up. Orgeron's beating his chest, yelling how he's fired up. People are butting each other's heads. That sideline's going crazy. You got to be able to to take that, and then you you take it. And you just get the ball back and you go down the field or, or you take it and you get a stop or a turnover, you know, you got to weather the storm. And, and that's, that's really how it is anytime you go to Baton Rouge, but with this team that's fragile, but talented in LSU, you know, it, it's even more important that, that you don't, you don't let them feel like they're back. Okay. Because that kind of stuff matters with momentum. Now, another haymaker could happen. Let's say Carolina gets off to a great start. Let's say, you know, you're up seven nothing. You get the ball back. You get a stop. You go down. Oh, you get stopped. You know, they make a great play on defense and stop you on third and four or whatever. Here comes Parker White. You kick it. You're up ten nothing. Well, they've got a little momentum because they stopped you. Next thing you know. You know, Finley has a wide-open Terrence Marshall on a busted coverage for an 85-yard touchdown. Again, they get the momentum. So that's another point. You know, the haymaker can happen at any time. And sometimes it's a couple of haymakers. So the Gamecocks have to weather the storm, play their game. Uh, I think Colin Hill, you know, one thing that everybody can agree on about him is he's very calm. You know, he's not going to go down there and panic. And, you know, they continue to run the offense – uh, no matter what. So you got to take a haymaker. You know, Eric Gilbert and Terrence Marshall, you got to find a way to slow those guys down. They're not going to stop them. 
got to find a way to slow them down. It's it, you know, the guy delivering the ball to these guys too is important. So keep that in mind. It's not, you know, Miles Brennan, who's been in their program for three or four years, uh, learning the offense. It's a true freshman, you know, it's, it's a true freshman. Um, so, <laughs> you know, and these guys also keep in mind, if you believe in the Joe Brady magic, and I know some of you are Panthers fans, um, and I'll add you, I think Joe Brady's a very talented coach. Don't get me wrong. NFL, college, wherever. Very talented, rising star. But if you believe in the Joe Brady magic, uh, and I've always tried hard to give Steve Ensminger his share of the credit for the success last year at LSU because, you know, he is the grizzled veteran and is involved no matter people want to just, you know, anoint Brady. Well, last time I checked, they were scoring points again this year. Quarterbacks throwing it all over the place. Uh, but if you believe in the Brady magic, you know, keep in mind T.J. Finley and Max Johnson were not part of that. They, Brady may have been a part of their recruitment, but they've never been coached by that guy. That's been all the, the new guys. I think Linehan and Steve Ensminger. So if you believe in the Brady magic, Miles Brennan probably had that Brady magic, you know, sprinkled on him last year, but these guys don't have it. I don't know that I believe in the Brady magic as it relates to these quarterbacks and getting them ready to play. In fact, it scares me a little more that you got a veteran, grizzled veteran play caller up there, you know, making decisions like this instead of like a hot shot, you know, young offensive mind that wants to chunk it all over the yard. Um, because the, the younger guys, sometimes they don't learn their lessons and they're like, why isn't this working? <laughs> you know, boom, boom, boom. You know, the veterans like, all right, we're going to get in the eye and we're, you know, uh, we're going to surprise these guys. Um, but you got to slow Gilbert and Marshall. Uh, you know, they're going to try to give those guys the ball somehow. Uh, you got to slow those guys. They're two of the best in college football. Uh, and those two guys alone can make you look silly as a defense. Uh, confuse Finley or Johnson, whoever's playing quarterback, because I think both will probably play. Um, whether that's bringing pressure, and again, if they kind of do what they've been doing and they're aerating it out, you're not going to probably be able to sack him. You're not going to be able to get to him in time. But you got to confuse him with coverages, different pressures from different sides. Um, you know, don't, you know, the Gamecocks, I think, need to be very multiple on defense and a little creative on defense to, to confuse uh, whoever's in there, Finley to start, Johnson if it doesn't work out. Um, you know, and I think Carolina's, you know, if you look at Will Muschamp's defense, it's it's designed to do that at times. Um, and then my prediction, you know, I, I again, this is one of the hardest games because it, it's kind of like if you just look, you know, if you just look at the facts and you look at how these teams have played, Carolina through four and LSU through three, you'd think, well, LSU's definitely got to play a lot better to beat the Gamecocks and and all that. Um, you also look at LSU in, in terms of roster and talent, uh, and I think they're a talented bunch, but you know, you know, they also lost a third of those guys off last year's team. Uh, they've had buy-in issues. They've got new coordinators. Their defense has been bad. And what's been good about LSU this year through three games is Miles Brennan has been lighting it up, and he's not playing. Not playing. Then you look, and Vegas still has the Gamecocks as a six-point underdog. Hmm. <laughs> Very interesting. 
uh, you know, and, and I can't wrap my head around it. I mean, a lot. And again, I talk a lot in terms of scenarios. There's 15 different scenarios for this football game, 15 different scenarios. So, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to go with the Gamecocks 24, LSU 21. Uh, I'm going to keep the faith that the Gamecocks can go in there and win. Uh, I think LSU will give them all they want. But I, I think Carolina, when you're talking, if it weren't for the true freshman quarterback playing or quarterbacks playing, I probably would have gone the other way. But I just think that, you know, LSU as a football team will have to do a lot different. And they don't really have the thing that's been best about them this year, which is Miles Brennan playing well and, you know, chucking it all over the yard. You know, so that's that's my – opinion uh one more key for carolina can't make the mistakes like you made uh in a couple of ball games you know can't turn it over can't let the punt go off your leg penalties stuff like that don't have a 90 yard touchdown call back although i thought that was a ticky tack call in that football game but anyway so that's uh that's that i think um i think that pretty much is is, is wrapped that up you know, in terms of previewing that game, 7 p.m. ESPN, Baton Rouge. Uh, if some of you make it down there, I would encourage you to go again uh, because that's the best venue to me in the SEC uh, when it's packed and loud uh, and all that. Tailgating's great. Obviously, New Orleans is right there. When we're not in a pandemic, next time LSU rolls on the schedule and the game pass go to Baton Rouge, I would definitely – Definitely go take advantage. But, you know, this is the – what is this? This is the third straight time the Gamecocks have been to LSU without LSU coming to Carolina uh, because of the flood in 2015. So, you know, it'll be a while. <laughs> LSU's got to come up to Columbia for a change. But, um, you know, so we'll kind of see what happens. But I, I, I just – I can't pick against the Gamecocks because it doesn't make any sense unless you look at things like the name on the side of the helmet and the line and you believe that LSU is going to come out of nowhere. And, and there is an argument against it. Cause you know, you watch Florida state against North Carolina you know, nobody expected that. And that's a, that's kind of a, you know, a name team that's been really bad that got up off the mat and beat a top five Tar Heel team. Mac Brown, who went to North Carolina, I mean, sorry, who went to Florida state, that's his alma mater. And he probably hates the war chant <laughs> at this point because, you know, he didn't do well uh, first time around at UNC. And then lo and behold, this, you know, heading into that game was the worst Florida State team I think I've ever seen go down there and lose by a field goal. You know, so these things do happen. But uh, they happen when the team that's, you know, the quote-unquote favorite or whatever – decides to do things a lot different and play, play some football, you know. So we'll see what happens. All right, mailbag time. Uh, and those on Twitter that gave me a mailbag, um, you know, thing, uh, I will read those again. If you emailed yesterday, I've deleted the email. Just, just, just you know, bring it back or whatever. Um, and I mentioned Phil earlier on Twitter. There's two ways to get in the mailbag. You can tweet to at the Big Spur Pod. Please follow that Twitter account if you're not already. Um, 
and uh, tweet too at the Big Spur Pod, and I'll read them all. Uh, and I said Phil earlier reminded me Brad Johnson played a uh, won a Super Bowl with the Bucks. Randy says Big Spur Pod, our defense's biggest issue has been able to stop the big play. LSU is still definitely capable of hitting big plays, even if it's with a backup quarterback. How do you think the defense can hold up on Saturday? Uh, I think they've got to confuse. Uh, they got to be a little creative and confuse the quarterback. Hopefully, force some turnovers. At the same time, you know you've got to make sure Gilbert and Marshall and some of those other speedy receivers LSU has stay in front of you uh, and eliminate the big play. Um, I don't think it's realistic that Carolina eliminates all the big plays on Saturday. Uh, I think I think LSU still got enough talent to. to to do that, I think they're good enough and well enough coached to, to manufacture some of that. But, yeah, I mean, you can't go in that game and and give up, you know, and see Terrence Marshall catching, you know, 13 passes for 225 yards. You know, that's just, that's just not something that's a, re- a recipe for success. So, you know, you've got to be able to stop the big play, especially at times when maybe you got a little momentum, like I mentioned earlier, take the haymaker, you know, you, you gotta, you, you do have to rebound from the haymakers, but it's best not to give up the haymakers to begin with. But I, I think the defense can hold up well. I, I'm, I'm interested to see how LSU actually attacks the Gamecocks, and it's got to be a tough preparation because I, I, you know, Will Muschamp and Travis Robinson are sitting there probably thinking, you know what, you know, I don't know if. You know, I don't know what they're going to do. Are they going to stick with this or go with that? It's a new quarterback. You know, there's a lot to think about in terms of preparation. You know, the good news is I think I think a lot of the defensive guys are, you know, they're not young anymore. You know, these guys, Ernest Jones is a veteran. J.C. Horn's a veteran. Izzy McQuamu's a veteran. John Dixon's in his second year. Jamie Robinson, second year. You know, Damani Staley is a veteran. Jamar Brown is in his second year. He is a little young. Pierre Thomas, Jabari Ellis, J.J. Enigbari, you know, Aaron Sterling, if he plays uh, or starts, you know, Taka Hemingway is behind him. Uh, Jordan Birch obviously is young. But uh, you, you, you've got – this is not a, a group that, you know, is inexperienced. So, hopefully, if LSU does some things that are unexpected, there's adjustments that are made and – they could go on. I mean, Will Muschamp's good at that. So hopefully that happens. Cole says mailbag question for the Big Spur Pod. And yeah, I answered this yesterday. Someone answered today. Which of the freshman DBs, Hill, Hunter, and Fortune, do you feel like can make an impact next year? I feel like development of these guys is going to be important and it's not talked about enough. Yeah, because you're, you're probably looking at – I would be shocked if J.C. Horn did not go pro. Uh, McQuamu probably too if they project him that high. If he has another couple of big games, I think McQuamu would be a safe bet to go. Uh, so you're going to have Dixon and Smith, and you need guys behind them. Uh, they like Joey Hunter, and and they like the way uh, O'Donnell Fortune comes up and hits you at Sumter. You know when you watched him on film, they didn't you know, he didn't get a lot of targets, kind of like J.C. Horn, but when he did, he could cover. He's a big six one guy. Uh, I would say Fortune and Hunter are definitely guys to watch for next season. Uh, Dominic Hill is, is a guy they like, kind of moved him from corner to safety or whatever. He's speedy. But, you know, at safety now, you know, when the emergence of Shiloh Sanders, you got Jalen Dickerson still back there. You got Jamie Robinson still back there. You still got R.J. Roderick. Um, you know, he may not be a guy that, that works his way onto the field as fast. Now, that's just my opinion. Uh, anything can happen. I mean, Dominic Hill could end up being – 
a star next year. <laughs> uh, between now and next year, the good news with all those guys is that they're all playing special teams and getting experience, um, and then they still get to redshirt. You know, that, this year's a pretty good deal for young players. All right, spit ya, says, hey, JC, given our history with first-time starting quarterbacks, how can we keep Finley from being the Heisman front runner next week? Does a power-running quarterback play into their scheme? Thanks, and as always, go Cox. I don't know that he's a power-running quarterback. Power-running quarterback play? I mean, it's 6'6", 250, I'd try it. I mean, you know, if I'm them – I'm trying it because it's not something you really do. I mean, Burrow would run. That's part of what made Burrow extremely dangerous is he'd take off and go. Um, but I don't know that in talking to some people and, and watching Finn, I don't know that he's a power running quarterback. I think he's just big. You know, like Felipe Franks would be like a power running quarterback for me. Steam steamroller. Um and, you know, I talked about this, and, and I know, like, the first time – all right, so there have been some first-time starting quarterbacks that have given Carolina trouble over the years. You know, Kenny Hill from A&M obviously comes to mind. Uh, the 2015 season, Drew Locke uh, made his first start as a true freshman against the Gamecocks, and, and they won that football game. Uh, there was another one that year. Oh, yeah, Kyler Murray – from A&M, made his first start as an Aggie uh, against the Gamecocks, and they won down there, although that game was pretty close. And Kyler Murray didn't hurt that defense as bad as – I mean, well, he had like 220 and 150, 370. So he did hurt them pretty bad, but it wasn't – yeah, it wasn't – yeah, Kyler Murray's done worse (laughs) damage. Uh, Let's put it that way in terms of result of the game. Uh, under Muschamp, I don't, you know, I'm I'm trying to think uh, first time starting quarterbacks that have have done well uh, against the Gamecocks, and I, I just kind of going through it in my mind. I don't I don't really know, you know, I, I can't really think of one under Muschamp um, that's done well. Uh, you know, just kind of thinking back on it um, for their first start. Now there's guys that are in their first year. Um, obviously, you know, Garantano uh, – well, Garantano – kind of Garantano played okay in 2017 up in, in Knoxville. Almost led him back to the win. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think that's something to kind of think about. During the Muschamp era, I can't think of anybody. But, boy, that 2015 season, though, yeah. Here's Drew Locke. He's making a yeah. Of course, Drew Locke and Kyler Murray are both starting in the NFL now, um, but you have that on the hill on the heels of the Kenny Hill situation where Hill just destroyed you know the Gamecocks defense. But you know, keep in mind too that Kenny Hill game that was set up for a disaster for the Gamecocks because Carolina you know trotted out Al Harris and some much Rod Gola. I mean, their their secondary was just rough. And they didn't have an answer for, for, for A&M's scheme and A&M's receivers and A&M's offense in general. And Hill was on the money. And they just kept throwing and throwing and throwing. Uh, so keep that in mind uh, with that A&M game. Uh, and then in the Drew Locke game, uh, 
Lorenzo Nunez started at quarterback for the Gamecocks. I think the Gamecocks scored one touchdown when it bounced off somebody's helmet and fell into either Brandon Wilds or David. I mean, I don't know. Um, so, you know, I, I understand the feeling there going back. I remember one year in, oh gosh, 1993, uh, the, the second year uh, of, of the SEC, last year under Sparky, you know, Carolina had won at Georgia to start the year. Everybody's fired up because they finished five and one the year before. Everybody's like Tannehill, Tannehill, Tannehill. And old Bill Curry um, and, uh, you know, the Kentucky Wildcats come to town on a, on a Thursday night, and they're starting quarterbacks out. And they started this guy named Antonio O'Farrell, and they ran the option. And they ran the option, and they ran the option, and they ran the option, and they beat Carolina 21-17. And that's different than the Kentucky team in 95 that came in where Mo Williams ran for 290 yards and beat them. There's just something about that. Um, and, and so going back to then, you kind of go, yeah, you know, that's tough. Uh, and then with the Gamecocks, you know, Dylan Thompson made his first start in one of the, you know, the best wins in program history up at Death Valley that night and lit up the Tigers. So I, I think a lot of it just depends. But this is a different, different type. So, I mean, I don't think I've ever seen a deal where, you know, true freshman that, that's not even taking a snap walks out and plays. So, yeah, he, he could be the Heisman front runner next week. I'm not ruling any of that out. I'll tell you this, T.J. Finley, no matter how he plays against the Gamecocks, just from what I've seen on film from high school and stuff, and I'll admit I didn't really dig in and scout him a whole lot um, like I used to, but I took the time to do it this week. He's going to be really good. If he gets coached up at all, you know, he's going to be uh, an NFL guy. You know, he's got that kind of arm talent. And NFL, like I said, they love guys with size and all that. It's just, is he ready to go this week? And how exactly are they going to attack the Gamecocks with him under center? Thanks, you boy. I certainly appreciate it. Always appreciate these uh, Twitter um, questions because that helps get our following up on Twitter. Speaking of following, I want to thank every one of you for the uh, ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. That's been outstanding. Uh, we are up to, I think we're closing in on 300. We want, we want 1,000 by the end of the year. Closing in on 300, though. And so uh, I think um, I, I think that's, uh, you know, 1,000 is an achievable goal. It's like Steve Spurrier used to say. Just reading through it, Chris, Rocket, BRH are the last couple that, that got in here. Uh, but please continue to do that. That just helps me so much. To get somebody else's phone and rock it, you know, that kind of thing. And, again, I'm sorry because Monday we didn't have one. Thursday we didn't have one. I've explained that. You know, it's usually five days a week, et cetera, et cetera. All right, so these questions are now coming from the inbox, inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. If you sent one yesterday, I did answer it. I explained what happened, uh, and I deleted, deleted, a lot of the questions and I don't know. Can I get those back? No, I can't get them back. I'm sorry. I'm very sorry. Oh, hold on. No, hold on. 
unread, red, starred, more. Is there more? No. More. There's more. Less. More. No, it's not letting me. It's not letting me see that. So, all right. Send those questions back. I'll get them on Monday. I apologize. Thomas emails in. Thomas was a frequent emailer to the box, just like uh, Spence. So love to hear from Thomas and Spence. And when I get uh, back on live radio at some point, it probably will be a streaming situation on a daily basis. Um, Looking forward to hearing from these guys too, if we have a phone line and all that. JC, sorry if this has been discussed on TBS. Don't worry. TBS is separate from the podcast, although it is the Big Spur pod. So I don't mind answering questions here and there. He's like, I haven't been on often this lately due to my schedule. Seems to me like Jalen Brooks has a chance to explode on the scene. Got to imagine LSU has been and is still preparing to try and stop shy, possibly by doubling him. They can leave Brooks with a plus matchup of one-on-one. Do you agree or no? I agree. Um, this guy's playing his first game, though, in the SEC at LSU. They still have good defensive backs. Um He's the type of kid, from what I hear, that's confident, that's not going to let anything bother him. But it's still the first game. So you got to kind of, you know, like I said, I, I've seen people you know, act like this guy's Randy Moss and he's going to go off. And you know, I, I don't know that that's fair right away. Um, I mean, you got to give him a chance to kind of ease into the season. Uh, but, you, you you know, schematically and, and – Theoretically, you're right. I mean, that, that's why you need another guy, you know, because everybody in the country and, – and it's kind of funny because I'm, I'm, you don't – I mean, Auburn probably realized they needed to stop Shy Smith too, and he still called eight passes for 75 yards. And, and, you know, Bobo does a great job of getting Shy in position to make plays, and Colin Hill does a great job of finding Shy when it's time to do it. And Shy last week did a great job of making two really nice catches. Not just a fast guy, that's Shy Smith. But Jalen Brooks is a different, I mean, bigger-bodied kid, bigger-bodied receiver. He's fast for his size. He's a lot like Brian Edwards, you know. That's who he kind of reminds me of. Uh, if they can get Brian Edwards-level production without, you know, some of the Brian Edwards drops at times, uh, you can uh, – that's a good thing. Because all of a sudden then, you know, you're sitting there and instead of having like one receiver you got to scheme up for and get him the ball, you got two. And then you still got Nick Muse at tight end. Uh, the two running backs are second and third on the team in reception. So the running backs are still involved, Fenwick and Harris. And by the way, Fenwick and Harris have had – you know, their hands have impressed me this year. I, I didn't hear anything about Kevin Harris's hands. I've always heard Fenwick's had good hands. But those guys are doing great uh, in the catching department. Um, you know, maybe Kevion Mullins gets involved, all that good stuff. So, I mean, you know, you can kind of, you know, ha- sometimes one guy helps everybody else. And, and like I mentioned earlier, I think it's going to help Xavier Leggett, Rico Powers, you know, Josh Van, whoever else is playing at receiver, you know, to have a, a solid a number, a, a clear number two out there, the defenses have to worry about because then they're, then you're the third, you're like the B receiver, uh, if you're doing Spurrier's offense, that was that was the position D.L. Moore played for a while and didn't do anything at. And then Nick Jones, though, when you had Ace and Bruce Ellington and Nick Jones, Nick Jones made did some damage. 
sometimes that third receiver is really, I mean, you know, you can make things happen. So um, I, I do think it's good. And, you know, will he explode on the scene this weekend? Time will tell. I'm not going to predict that because I'm not going to do that to the kid. Because then, you know, he goes out there and, 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 you know, you're like, I think he'll just make a huge impact. And he can, you know, he has a nice game, two catches for 25 yards. Shy is shy. The backs are the backs. The tight end, Nick Muse catches some balls. Gamecocks win. Then everybody's disappointed. You know, ah, only two catches for 25. Thought he was going to make this big impact. Well, you know, sometimes Brian Edwards and Debo Samuel had only two catches. But I, I, I do think it's big that he got eligible. And I'm happy for him because, I mean, from everything I've heard, he's a hell of a guy and a hard worker. Uh, and, and physically, you know, he's how you draw him up, and he's made a lot of big plays in practice. So we'll see if he can take it to the field. Thanks, Thomas, for another wonderful email. Mark says, and he, he does hashtag Sherb Nation uh, as the subject line. Hi, JC. What's the number one thing the Gamecocks have to do this weekend to win in Baton Rouge? Thanks, and I'll hang up and listen. In my opinion, it's protect and open running lanes on offense. Uh, I think the offense, a great, uh, how about this? Play well on the offensive line. Because when you play well on the offensive line, Kevin Harris is going to be able to run the ball. Deshaun Finnis is going to be able to run the ball. Colin Hill is going to have time to distribute the ball to the receivers. Uh, what you don't want to do is for LSU's defensive line to just maul you on the line of scrimmage. And then you have problems. Because then how are you going to counteract that? Because, you, you know, if Colin Hill didn't have time to get it off, you know, he's not the fleetest of foot. Um, you know, what kind of adjustments will you make if you can't block? I mean, so, so that's, that's, the, that's the number one key to me. Um, you know, there's obvious stuff like don't turn the ball over. All right, so the final question, and we've had a longer episode today because I felt like I needed to give you guys a longer episode because of yesterday. And, again, I just didn't feel good about it, and I, I you know, don't want to go there. I've gotten – very reflective in my old age because I guarantee you, excuse me, sorry, I didn't mean to say, guarantee to you that uh, if I were 35 instead of 43, that puppy would have gone out. And then I'd have sat there and argued with everybody all day. Just not worth it. You guys are my audience, my customers, my friends, you know, online community. Um, so that's why that episode didn't come out. And then I, I, I did a lot on Max Johnson. Uh, I could just go for about another 30 minutes on Max Johnson, but that'd probably bore you to death. So the final question of the week from the mailbag, again, get in on the mailbag inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. Tweet to at the Big Spur Pod. Also go to Apple Pods, rate us five stars, write a review. You guys have been great about that. Our numbers continue to grow in the rankings and, and everywhere else. Um Wish we'd have gotten those two episodes in this week as the numbers go down, the less episodes you do. But uh, that's okay. We'll make it up. So Jason says, first time writing in, I've really been enjoying the podcast. I've been listening for the last few weeks ever since I heard about y'all from my friend Evan over at Tito's and Chicken mentioning your podcast. Yeah, great. I had a great uh, guest appearance with Evan and, and those guys last week went for about an hour on Tito's and chicken. So those of you that don't know about Tito's and chicken, it's a couple of younger guys, younger crowd. They, uh, uh, they do a good job. It's, it's kind of light, funny at times and, and informative, uh, really, really good guys. Uh, so if you're looking for another podcast that covers the Gamecocks to listen to, I highly recommend Tito's and chicken. Uh, great to hear you with those guys last Friday as well. Jason goes on to say, 
Keep up the great content. It really makes my hour-long commute to work each way go by fast. Ooh, boo, where do you live? Boo. Boo. Uh, Atlanta? Uh, an hour? Now, I used to commute for an hour. Uh, my first, first job. My first job in journalism was at the Anderson Independent Mail covering um, high school football, kind of like the high school football stringers. I did that while I was uh, finishing up my degree at USC Upstate. Lived in Greenville, went to college in Spartanburg, covered high school football in Anderson. So, so that was a long commute when you think about like going back and forth like that. Um, now, my first job job, when I first got out, and I remember I made, I think, 19 grand a year <laughs> uh, at a newspaper, Seneca Daily Journal. It was a uh, six-day-a-week outfit. Um, wrote some columns, did that. Wasn't there very long. Uh, but I did. I lived over in Greenville, and it did take me about an hour sometimes to get to Seneca. Um, you know, and in Nashville, when I lived there, I lived in a place in the late 2000s called Spring Hill, Tennessee. When there was a wreck on the interstate, it could be four hours to get to Brentwood where my office was, <laughs> you know, that was interesting too. Um, and so, but yeah, our commute each day, man, that's, that's something else. I mean, I, I don't know, drop us a line, tell us where you live because that's interesting. Uh, quick question. How do you think the Gamecocks will prepare for a freshman quarterback from LSU with little to no film available on them? I'm assuming LSU will switch to more of a run-heavy offense. That's my gut feeling, too. But, again, as a program, they've sort of committed to this air raid style. But hearing they aren't that strong rushing, I feel like they may be throw forced to throw the ball around more. Yeah, I mean, their best players are kind of Terrence Marshall and Eric Gilbert and the receivers. I really want to see the Gamecocks go in and dominate this game. I know it's highly unlikely with LSU at night, but I can't fight off the wishful thinking. Thanks, Jason. I, you know, I, I, and I think it's interesting too because if you if you sort of look at you know again look at LSU's three games, look at Carolina's three games. LSU's probably those are probably the three. It'll probably end up being that Missouri, Mississippi State, and Vandy are the three worst teams in the SEC this year because I don't think Arkansas Arkansas should be three and one right now. We, we no longer have to have the Arkansas is the worst team ever discussion because they're on their way back, you know. And, and I think in that division, you're looking at it through the scope of, well, can we be better than the Mississippis and can we catch A&M? And, and in some years, Auburn. And maybe in, in this year, LSU. <laughs> uh, the, the, West is, is, the West is a division is as down as I've seen it in – Oh man, since the this since the run started when when Bama got really good. I mean that, you know, it's not a murderer's row. Right now, Texas AM is probably the second best team in that division. And Bama beat them 52 to 24. And they almost lost to Vanderbilt. You know, so the West, there's some there's some issues with the West right now. Um, but you know, you look at it, LSU's one and two. Um They've struggled to stop anybody with a pulse on offense. Uh, Carolina does have a pulse on offense. Now Carolina's different than what Mississippi State did to them and what Missouri did to them, although Missouri does throw a lot of short passes. You know, 
Eli Drinkwitz is not, you know, you look at him at NC State and App State, they throw a lot of short kind of passes like the game guys do. Um, you know, so I don't LSU's gonna have to change. And, and like I mentioned earlier, you know, if I'm LSU, I'm looking at Florida State last week and, and having hope. And obviously South Carolina's not a top five team. So there's that too. I mean, you can get all fired up about a two and two team coming to town. Their fans certainly aren't. Tickets are twenty one dollars. So I I, I don't know. And yet the folks in Vegas still have LSU as a six-point favorite. What do they know? What are they looking at? The line hasn't really changed with the Brennan being hurt. Do they do, is TJ Finley really good and we just don't know it? Will the prophecy on Twitter that my man, you know, did and they were he's gonna win the Heisman, is that gonna come true? Is that the the old Gamecock? I can see that the chicken curse is that part of is is first time quarterbacks lighting up the game guys is, is that part of the chicken curse? Scary. It's almost Halloween. Went to a pumpkin patch the other day. By the way, that's that's good fun. I saw a pig race. You ever seen a pig race? That that's that's actually fun. I want to do more of that. All right. So that ends the show for today. Jason, I appreciate it. Drop us a line and tell us where you're commuting from because that's hour each way. I'm fascinated by that. So uh, it's uh, it's one of those things. John Whittle's making a joke on Twitter that distracted me. All right. So, again, email inside the game at gmail.com. Tweet to at the Big Spur Pod. Go to Apple Pods, rate us five stars. You can also get this podcast on Spotify and on Stitcher. Uh, if you're not a Apple user, you can uh, rock and roll with those other platforms, and, and we're ready to go. Um, so I certainly appreciate everybody. All right, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. We have one more that I'm getting in. One more from the Twitter. Patrick says, I was with you on your dog theory a couple of weeks ago and have to agree again. I am a mailman in downtown Asheville. (laughs) So he's got to agree with the Asheville thing, you know, the hippie town. It's a different place from most of the South. I see it every single day. Great beer though. (laughs) I do um, here. And last time I was in Asheville, I went to a concert up at Biltmore and, I guess it was August of 2015. It's about five years ago since I've been there. Um, they do have that craft beer up there, uh, and that's that's fun to drink sometimes. I kind of like piss-colored American beer myself. I'm a Miller Lite guy, Bic Ultra. You know, the stuff most of you probably make. Most of you beer snobs will make fun of me for drinking, but that's that's what I like to drink. Uh, also, get, I've gotten into the White Claws <laughs> as of late, but um, – Anyway, yeah, it's uh, the dog theory. Uh, if you go, you guys don't know, the dog barks, and when the mailman comes by, or, or the UPS guy, or a big truck, or, or whatever he doesn't like that day, because sometimes he'll just bark at people walking. Sometimes he won't. Uh, most of the time, though, Amazon, UPS, the mailman, they're all fair game. So he gets jumps in the window and acts like Cujo for about five minutes. While my man's sitting there going, 
you know, taking people's packages to him. Most of the time, the mailman can't even hear him. They just look and see this little 18-pound dog growling and snarling. <laughs> and they laugh. And he doesn't know people are laughing at him. Uh, and then, like, they go away. So I, my theory was, I, I think he believes that these are monsters coming to attack the house. And that he's barking and making them go away. And then they go away and he thinks he's doing a good job. So that was my dog theory. And then my Asheville theory was, uh, you know, Patrick agreed because he was a mailman. And and then my Asheville theory, Patrick's a mailman in downtown Asheville. So, you know, Patrick, uh, Patrick knows what I'm talking about, but thanks Patrick. I'm glad I got to that. What a great way to end the week with the dog theory, Asheville, North Carolina and, me admitting I like white claws, that's just tremendous and probably makes up for yesterday not wanting to spew venom uh, all over the podcast universe. All right, guys, hopefully you have a great weekend. Enjoy college football tomorrow. Uh, sometimes night games are cool because you can sit there and, you know, hang out, grill all day and have some beverages and watch the other teams. And then here come the Gamecocks. So that's always good. Uh, I hope you guys enjoy it and have a great weekend and we'll holler at you later. This is JC Sherbert. This has been the inside the game cast podcast.